0: You guys, we've been digging our way through Romans, and as with most of Paul's letters, if you guys are real familiar with the letters of Paul, which is most of the New Testament, right, typically what he does is he starts off and he kind of hits you with a bunch of doctrine. He kind of gives you a base, right? He, He builds a platform that then he can throw on the practical application of what he's trying to show you. And that's what we see here in Romans as well, is that we've been digging through 11 straight chapters of doctrine just doctrine and it's been good and it's been hard and for those of you guys that have walked through some of this stuff you've heard me say a couple different times yeah I don't know man I don't know about the whole sovereignty of God and the free will of God and and a free will that God gives us and how all that goes together that stuff's hard right and that's been debated for years and so we we left that kind of just sit there and you guys have to chew and figure that out. I think that's something that we're going to be in the process of doing for the rest of our lives. And the reality is, you guys, these first 11 chapters are vitally important. The reason Paul starts off with doctrine is vitally important. Why? Because doctrine is vitally important. Doctrine is this thing that we need to continue to grow in and chew on. Notice I didn't say debate and disagree over. (laughs) There's room you guys there's room within orthodoxy for people that think differently about certain doctrines of scripture namely calvinism versus arminianism namely the gifts of the spirit are they for today or are they not dude who cares do you know jesus that's the important part right let god work that out in you let let god help you figure that stuff out through time there's a quote there's going to be a lot of quotes today Tozer. Love Tozer. If you guys have never read anything by A.W. Tozer, I highly recommend him. Great guy. But he said this, you guys, and I believe this is true, and this is what makes doctrine so vital. It is impossible to keep our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our idea of God is erroneous and inadequate, while our doctrine is erroneous and inadequate. If we would bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must begin to think of God more nearly as he is. Notice Tozer didn't say perfectly. God is beyond knowing. That's what the word tells us, right? There's a level of God that we're just never going to get to the bottom of him. However, it should never stop us from trying to learn more and more and more every day about him. Amen? So today, you guys, we're going from all this doctrinal stuff we've been digging through, and if you haven't been here to listen to those, you can go back and listen if you want. There's probably a thousand other pastors that taught it better, so... (laughs) You know, whatever. Go find some John MacArthur or whoever you want to look up and and, uh, R.C. Sproul, a lot of great guys out there. But the fact is we're now switching to this really practical kind of application of what does all of this doctrine mean? What's the point of it all if it doesn't change our lives, if it doesn't have a practical purpose in our lives? And so we're going to be asking these questions for the rest of this book, which is how do we live this life in Christ? What does that look like? And today, we're going to be digging through just two verses. And these two verses, you guys, many people, and I myself included, these will be tattooed on my body soon. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Listen, they're my life verses. This is my life. This is what I want my life to mean, and I'm not alone. I'm not some novel person that's got some brand new idea. No, you guys... These verses are, to me, a picture of what our actions, our words, our thoughts, what they should all look like. To me, these two verses really are the essence of what I believe a Christian's life should be aiming towards in every possible way. And my prayer is that at the end of today, you guys hopefully will feel the same way if you don't already. I want this, you guys, to be the DNA of our church, of us waking up to the fact that God actually has a plan for our lives and that he desires something from us and for us. But in the process of all that, you guys, we're in the process of fumbling through that and figuring that out. And so let's start digging in. Verse 1 of chapter 12, it says this. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You guys, there's a lot to break down here. So let's start. Paul's exhortation. So in light of the last 11 chapters, in light of all of the stuff he's already written, you guys, he's saying, I beseech you. I beseech you, therefore. Do you know what that means? Let's look at it in some other things. In ESV, it's, if you have an ESV here today, it says, I appeal to you. In the NIV, it says, I urge you. In the NLT, the New Living Translation, it says, I plead with you. You guys, there's a clear indication that what's going to follow, what Paul says following this, we have a choice to participate in, right? He's not saying, This is how it's going to be. You better do it. No, he says, I beseech you. I'm urging you. With all that I have, I'm telling you this, this thing that I'm going to speak is the thing that I want you to dive into. Guys, we have a choice to participate in this life or not. There's an element of our will that's involved in what we're being asked. And then Paul gives us and makes clear that this exhortation that he's about to give, he's doing it by the mercies of God, and we live it out by the mercies of God. You guys, what were the mercies of God that, God, that Paul's already explained in Romans? Do you guys remember? We knew or we learn in Romans chapter 1 through 11 that God has justified us from our sin through Jesus. Amen? We are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. We're told that too, right? You're a son and a daughter if you're here today and you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again to save you from your sins. You are a son and daughter of the King. That's something that can't be taken away and also you didn't earn. You only receive it through Christ. We live in grace, you guys, not under the law. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) We have the Holy Spirit in us. That's huge. And finally, you guys, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Those are all amazing mercies of God that he's poured out upon us, you guys, that we don't deserve, that we didn't earn, and yet God said, here they are anyway. And all you have to do is accept my son and the work that he did on the cross for you. You guys, these are just a few of the things that we've read in these last 11 chapters that Paul's pointed out to us, but I need you to keep all those things in mind because when we read these two verses so often, and I'm guilty of this, you guys, for years and years and years, I read these two verses and I was like, "Uh, yes, I stink, I gotta get better, I gotta do this better, I can't do this this way, oh God, what the heck? That's totally missing the point, you guys. So if you're here today and that's what you hear, I'm just warning you, you've missed it. (laughs) You are only ever going to walk out this walk with him through his mercy. You're not going to get there on your own. You can't. That's the point. So don't let the enemy sell you a bill of goods and be like, man, you suck. Because if he does say that, do you know what I say back to him? You're right, I do but Jesus doesn't. (laughs) You guys, Paul now, he's going to hit us with the exhortation. What's the exhortation? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Right off the top, this should bring us back to the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament sacrificial system where there were animals. What were these animals? Holy and acceptable to God. If you go into Deuteronomy, that's literally what it says. I think Paul had a reason for choosing the words he chose. I think God reiterated it again. Why? Because there's a little difference here, but it does remind us and pull us back to the Old Testament. We weren't allowed to just throw. They were not allowed to just throw some random, you know, two-legged animal, right? You guys ever hear little brudda? No? (laughs) Little brudda was a two-legged puppy. That's a it anyway. Oh, little brother, (laughs) little brother, just keep scraping along. (laughs) That's not what we threw up on the sacrificial altar, right? No, you put the best on the altar. You put the thing that was going to cost you the most as a Jew. What was that thing? That thing, you guys? Yeah, Homestar Runner is the thing I'm talking about with little brother. If you don't know, listen, you guys. It's a cartoon. It's hilarious. Thank you. It is stupid. (laughs) <laughs> 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 ah my wife lover you guys this idea of what you threw on the altar was supposed to be holy set apart like it's the best it's the one that you would want to keep and make part of your stock that you're going to go ahead and like and and go ahead and breed from that's the kind of animal you were putting on there you were not putting the one that you're like eh you're the runt anyway <laughs> No, you picked the best. You put on the best. Why? Because that's what God deserved. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about going and picking the best. Here was the main heart of that. There was an element of that, but the idea of that was is that you would lay your hand on this animal's head and you would slice its throat and watch all the blood pour out of its body. And as it died, you would say, oh God, I'm putting all the sin and the garbage and the nonsense that is in my life upon this animal as a sacrificial Just payment for my sin. And as you watched it die, and I'm, yeah, it's that graphic. The Old Testament is gory, man. Your sin is that gory too, by the way. So the New Testament's no less gory. We've just sanitized it. But the reality is, you guys, is that that's what it should bring to mind. There was a sacrifice that was meant to be presented holy and acceptable and presented For sacrifice on the altar. What's Paul saying? He's saying we should be willingly looking at our own lives, you guys, and seeing them as something that we're ready to entirely put on the altar of God. Now, unlike the animals in the Old Testament, they didn't really have a choice in the matter, did they? They were like, (laughs) right? They just showed up like, man, what's going on? Oh, wow, that's not cool, (laughs) right? like that they didn't have a choice in the matter and thank God he didn't give them a brain to have actually like comprehend these choices right but the fact is you guys is and the other reality is is that those animals were put on the altar to sacrifice for the sin of the person offering the animals here's the deal we're being invited with the opportunity to put our lives on the altar not to remove our sin don't get that twisted but for something even greater than that you guys Our sin has been removed by the final sacrifice, Jesus. He is our perfect sacrifice. We don't need to go and and kill any more animals. PETA is happy, right? There's no need for any of those things anymore because Jesus paid for our sin, past, present, and future. It's all paid for, but the reality is, you guys, is that we have an opportunity here on earth to live for something greater. Greater than what? Greater than what the world's chasing after right now. That's the point. Christian, your life is meant to be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God. It's meant to be holy. Holy means set apart. That's literally what the word means. Set apart, different. Holy, different, completely not like the world around you. You convicted yet? I am. You guys... We're forgiven. Jesus is our final sacrifice for all our sins. But this chance to live our lives, chasing after a closer walk with Jesus and aiming at what comes eternally instead of living for the here and now, what's going to burn up, you guys, that's the point of this verse. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. He's not asking you to die physically, but He is asking you to die to yourself. Spiritually and emotionally, and just laying it all to God and saying, hey, I'm yours. Have your way. Move in me. How do we do that? Well, the truth is, you guys, we grow with God in doing it. Do you understand? You don't read this verse and say, today, today's the day. God, today's the day. I'm doing it forever. No it's a minute-by-minute choice, isn't it? It's an hour-by-hour choice. Sometimes, if you're lucky, for me, you guys, like Fridays, I work from home. Do you know what? Fridays, I'm pretty good at this. You know why? Because I don't talk to anybody. <laughs> I sit by myself. I'm like, dang, I did pretty good being a living sacrifice until my wife asked me to do the dishes. And I'm like, dang, not doing such a good job anymore, right? It's a day-by-day thing. It's a, it's a minute-by-minute thing sometimes to say, God, I want to sacrifice myself for you and what you have for me to do. Mm. You know what? I just talked about dishes and every tons of the guys in here that are married were like, (laughs) what you should be doing is what I do. Sorry, honey. Can I say what what this verse isn't? You guys, we don't grow with God in this verse by trying harder. Mm. We don't grow with God in this verse, by beating yourself into submission. We don't grow with God in this verse by crushing your old self until all you see is Jesus. Now, are there elements of your will involved in that process? Absolutely. But what does that look like? It looks like you laying down on the altar and trusting that God, the Holy Spirit, is going to work in your life, you guys. If there's one thing I want you guys to get today, is I want us to get away from this mindset of us beating ourselves up and having to like work extra hard and do more to get to God. You guys, God is fully capable of bringing us along to him. He's only asking us to lay down in the process. There's a, there's a, there's a hard part there. I'm not acting like that's easy. Like, oh, this is, you're choosing the harder path. Choose the easier one. Just lay down your life. No, it's hard too. It's hard too, you guys. But the idea is, is that we do it by laying down our lives in faith and following Jesus. God never intended for us to do this in our own power. He didn't. Jesus didn't just leave us here without Himself and say, "All right, have at it." That's not how it works. That's not what we see in Scripture. There's none of that, you guys. He gave us His Holy Spirit. Flip over with me to the gospel of John chapter 14. You guys, this is way before like he was on the cross. This is before he died and rose again. This was him talking to his disciples, talking to us and telling us, listen, there's something coming that's gonna be, that you should be glad I'm leaving because the Holy Spirit's coming, right? That's what he said in the book of Acts. He's like, man, it's good that I go. It's good that I go because the helper, the paraclete is coming along to come alongside you, right? Numa. Verse 19 of chapter 14 and John says this. It says, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. And at that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. You guys, Jesus knew. He said here, listen, keep my commandments. Do it. If that's all there was to it, you guys, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come because we would still be under the Old Testament system, which said this, do the rules, do them right. Make sure you get all 613. And if you screw one of them up, you better come make a sacrifice because you, my friend, are out of my will. If that was the way it was supposed to go, it would have stayed that way. God had a better plan. The whole point of the Old Testament was to show us that we needed a savior. God sent the Savior Jesus. He died and rose again. He sent the Holy Spirit to us to help us out. Literally, God dwelling in us to help us out, to guide us, to help us, you guys. We are not without help. Why do we believe the lie of the enemy that now we're back to this place where we're like in the Old Testament again, and we got to try harder, and we got to work on it? You guys... Jesus tells us that we're walking with him and following God's commandments in obedience, you guys. That is walking with him. That's what it is. Walk in obedience to him. Walk, look at that. Look at what that looks like. Are you gonna do that perfectly? No, you're not. Should that be your aim in life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you understand? Let's put it in more practical terms. If you're here and you're married or you're here and you have a friend, I hope everybody at least has that right? Your aim in life for that friendship is to try to be a good friend. Do you do it perfectly? No. Do you say wrong things? Yes. Do you do wrong things? Yeah. Do you forget the birthdays sometimes? Probably. Right? Like you do things that are wrong. Does that mean the friendship's over? No. I mean, if it is, it wasn't a very good friendship to begin with. It's pretty fickle. But the truth is, you guys, you don't do that perfectly, but your aim is towards doing it good, towards doing the right thing. It's the same thing with the Lord. He does not expect perfection from us, but what he does expect, you guys, is a heart that says, God, you're it. I want to lay my life down as a living sacrifice to you. That is his aim. That is his desire for us. It matters. We need to make sure we don't get it twisted. It's something we can only do in the power of the Spirit. We're never going to do it perfectly. You guys, the Holy Spirit, in the Greek, this word here is parakletos, the helper. It literally means intercessor, counselor, advocate, comforter, guide, convictor. It can mean all of those things. When there's conviction, you guys, This is how you know it's from the Holy Spirit and that it's not guilt. The difference is this is that conviction always pulls us towards a closer walk with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Guilt pushes us further away from Jesus. Right? Guilt is why too often we don't see people in church for a few weeks. And then you're reaching out and being like, hey man, where are you? What's going on? Oh, dude, I fell off the wagon again. Oh, dude, be here. Be part of the body. Get some love. Understand that you are a sinner, just like the rest of us, and that God still loves you. Repent, and let's move on. Let's keep walking, right? Guilt pushes us away. Conviction from the Holy Spirit, you guys, draws us towards Jesus, draws us towards walking with him. That's the point. That's what the Holy Spirit's there for. And then, you guys, Paul finishes up this verse by saying this. He says, laying down your life on the altar, submitting and obeying to God through the power of the Holy Spirit is our reasonable service. It's our reasonable service. The Greek words here, you guys, I bring them up because I really think the first one's big. You know what the word for reasonable there is in Greek? Logikos. Logic. It's logical. That's what Paul's saying. We need to hear that. Laying our life down on the altar in light of the fact that Jesus laid his life down for you is a logical service mm. to give him. The word service there is not as nearly as cool and, and, and applicable to us in uh, English, but it's Latrea. It means worship or sacred service. So in light of the life that Jesus lived, you guys, what the Bible says over and over and over again is that that's the life we're supposed to emulate, the life of Christ, which means we take up our cross daily we lay down our life and say, God, I'm yours. What do you got for me to do? What does that look like, Lord? Right, that's the life that that Paul's saying here is our logical worship. That's what he's saying. It's our logical worship. Paul's not mincing words here, you guys. He's He's speaking fact, which is why I keep hammering home the first part. You are not gonna do that on your own power. So it is your logical worship to lay down your life for the Lord. And if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I'm not doing a very good job of that. Or if this little fact that it is our logical worship bumps up against your feelings because you're like, I don't want to. Well, good. I'm glad it bumps up against your feelings. It should. It did mine as I studied this week. It does mine every time I read it. It's why I want a tattoo to my body so that I see it all the time. Because to me, it's a good reminder. My feelings are not nearly as important as God's will for my life. Mm -hmm. My comfort is not what God's aiming at. What did God tell, tell every, what did Jesus tell every disciple? Look, I have nowhere to lay my head. Life with me doesn't look clean and peachy. It flies in the very face of what the American church a lot of times is teaching, which is come to God, everything will be great. That's just not true. You will have peace and joy that passes all understanding. That is true. But God doesn't guarantee a life of ease when you come to him. If he did, he wouldn't have had to say, take up your cross, take up your death instrument and follow me. He says that because he's like, get ready. If you live a holy set apart life, if you sacrifice yourself and lay on the altar for me, dude, I got awesome, amazing plans. And they're not going to be easy. You guys, here's the deal. The reason I'd say that these verses should bump up against your feelings, the reason I say that we need to examine these verses in light of the mercies of God and keep our focus there is for this very reason, you guys. Because unless you're in heaven, you don't have it figured out yet, and you won't do this perfectly (laughs) And you might look at your life right now and say, man, I am not doing a good job of this. That's okay. God's grace is sufficient for you. But now that you've heard this, you guys, don't stop listening. Know that you're not alone. None of us have this down pat, but can I offer us all some encouragement here? At least this is true in my life, and I believe it's true in every Christian's life. But I can tell you this, you guys. I am much closer to living this way in my life today than I was at 16 when I got saved. So from 16 to 47, God has done some work in me. And you can say amen and praise God for that because I was a hot freaking mess. And anybody that knows me knows that I'm still a hot mess, but I'm a lot less of a hot mess than I used to be. And Lord willing, 10 years down the road, I'll be less of a hot mess than I am right now. What about you? God works it out of us. He works in us and through us, and we we get changed in the process, and we look at our lives, and we're like, man, God, thank you. Thank you, Father, that I am a new creation and that you're creating something new in me as I walk out this walk of sanctification with you. It's so good, you guys. There's so much peace there. What God expects, you guys, from us is that we would continue that walk. Don't stop. That's the worst thing we can do. And I I fear too often, you guys, we look at verses like this in the Bible and we're like, well, I'm not capable of that. And so we just stop. We stop growing. We stop. We just stand still. And we miss the entire point. Why? Because we somehow think we're not good enough for God. The reality is, yeah, you're right. You're not good enough for God. God saw fit to send his son because you'll never be good enough to get to heaven on your own. He sent his son because of that very purpose. So get it out of your head. Don't worry about it. God loves you. He sent his son for you. If you've accepted that, you are good enough. Not in your own actions, through the blood of Christ. So don't get it twisted. Don't stop growing. Don't miss the point. Because you think God expects perfection. Instead, you guys, here's what he desires. He desires a stumbling, fumbling, growing, learning walk with him. I'm going to say it again. Stumbling and fumbling, growing and learning. Walk with him. That's every person's here's walk. If you're truly walking with the Lord, you've stumbled sometimes. If you're truly walking with the Lord, you know you fumbled the ball a bunch. If you're truly walking with the Lord, hopefully you're continuing to grow through those things. And Lord willing, man, a year down the road, some of those things that maybe you were stumbling in, you'd find yourself not stumbling, maybe as much or not at all. Right? If you've heard any testimonies, listen, I just heard a testimony. We had a men's breakfast last night or yesterday morning, and there was a guy, and man, he was like, man, I drank, and I was just really, really, really drinking to blackout drunk constantly, and he said, the day I finally accepted Jesus, that went away. Man, I wish that was true for me in every area, but for some people, that's the way it goes. God just takes that away. Now, that doesn't mean you're suddenly perfect, and now you have nothing else to work on. No, we're always going to have things to work on until we get to heaven, right? But the truth is, you guys, for some of us, and for some things, and we all know this, we may have those sins that we stumble and fumble through our entire lives. The point is, is that we don't just give up and fall into those sins and live like the world outside. No, instead we're the opposite. And we say, God, I want your way in my life. Take this stupid pornography out of my brain. Help me to not do that. God, take this alcohol out of my system. Father, help me to not desire to get high on weed again and instead to get high on you, Holy Spirit. To get get wrecked by the fact that you, Lord, wanna do something in my life that is so much more valuable and eternal than this stupid thing that grows out of the ground. That's the truth. Here's the truth, man. I believe the American church, in part, is anemic because too often we get to these verses and we're like, yeah, I don't know if I'm really down with whole, really laying my life down on the altar. I mean, I've got my 401k to think about. You know, my kids have tons of sports games to get to. I've got all these other commitments, pastor. You don't even know. I mean, all you do all day is sit around the church like a lazy bum and drink coffee. (laughs) There's a quote by G.K. Chesterton that I think is true for most of the American church, and it says this, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. What is the Christian ideal? Laying your life down. A living sacrifice. You guys, I pray it's not the case for anyone here. God forbid we would settle for something so much less than to press in with the rest of our lives towards the upward call of Christ. With all the challenges that that brings, with all the pushback from the world around us, listen, with all the peace and joy that can be found in that life, you guys. There's chaos all around us and it's just getting worse and I promise you if you actually start saying today god I want my life to be a living sacrifice for you and you live that life. There will be pushback promise There will be people that think you're a complete idiot There will be people in this earth that will do nothing Less than try to get you to stumble and fall back into their way of things because they're not comfortable with something different That's the facts But there's a peace and a joy in knowing that you're walking towards something eternal instead of chasing after the very thing they're chasing after. Because your 401k, guys, if all these bank failures prove nothing, it proves that all that can go away in two seconds. So is that really what you're chasing? Money's nothing. It's paper. It burns. If it's hot enough, the metal will even melt, y'all. You'll be like, I got tons of quarters. It's in this huge ball of melted metal. Your kids, yeah, soccer's great. I love it. If they grow up knowing that soccer's amazing and then they get to college and they stop playing soccer or even high school and stop playing soccer and they never went to church or they never knew anything about Jesus, their eternal life is in jeopardy. And you know what? When they get before the Lord and they're like, my parents told me all about soccer. I'm not dogging it out. Listen, I played soccer. What I'm getting at is what is the point? Where is the aim of our lives, you guys? We are to be holy, set apart, different, acceptable to God. Not in our own power, in the power of the Holy Spirit walking in out through us. You guys, this life is a vapor. We have eternity to look forward to. We got to keep that in mind. We can't forget it. Now, verse (sighs) 2. And do not, man, y'all... I didn't even know if I was going to make it through verse one. <laughs> and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul gives us the practical way to walk with God towards this idea of a life that's been laid down on the altar, that is submitted to him. And we do it through two things that are simultaneous. And you need to hear this. If you're doing one, you're automatically not doing the other. You cannot do both at the same time. You need to hear this. You are either automatically walking and conforming to this world, which means you are not at all transforming your minds through the power of the Holy Spirit, or You're transforming, you're allowing God to transform your mind through the power of his word, through the power of the spirit and you're not conforming to the world around you. You cannot do both at the same time. Christian, can I just challenge you? The American church tries so stinking hard to do both at the same time and it doesn't work. You wanna know why Americans don't have impact in the world? Because we try so hard to do what God says you can't do which is do both. You cannot conform your life to the world around you and be transformed at the same time. You can't. You cannot do that. If we are asking and saying, God, I lay my life down for you. Father, I can't even do that on my own. I need your power to do that in me. Transform this stupid mind. I'm talking about my mind. You're you're not stupid. Transform this mind. Bring it into alignment with what you have for me to do. Bring it into alignment, God, with the way you think about these things. God, help me to see people with your eyes instead of seeing that they're homosexual or that they're bisexual or that they have all these other garbage things that are going on that the world is saying, this is what you should be. You should do all of this. Let's get more confused, guys. Church, we've done a horrible job because either we conform to that and we're like, yeah, you're fine. You're great. Go to hell. Or we do the polar opposite and we're like, you suck. Do you know how horrible you are? So are you. You're not good enough to get to heaven. Why would you look at someone else and tell them how bad they are? There's a balance here. The balance is Jesus. You're messed up. I'm messed up can I tell you who's not? Jesus. Can we talk about Jesus? I love having conversations with people that I completely and utterly disagree with. Why? Because I love, I honestly love, and maybe it's because I'm a very confrontational person, but I love confronting them with the love of Christ and saying like, you've got to deal with this, man. Well, how does God feel about me being gay? Well, it says in the word that being homosexual is an incorrect way of thinking about sex. It also says in a word that having sex before you're married is an incorrect way of thinking about sex. Sex is meant to be enjoyed within the loving confines of marriage. And guess what? A lot of us that call ourselves Christians don't follow that. So you're not alone and you're not different. Now, let's talk about Jesus who helps us. And there's grace for all that stuff. And God works it out of our system and we get into a place where, man, when we get to heaven, every one of us, you guys, when we get to heaven is going to look and be like, there you are. That's who you were. That's who God actually wanted you to be. Mm -hmm. What we're not going to get to heaven and be like, dude, you were bisexual. Now you're not good for you. No, all that's going to fall away, man. We're not going to get to heaven and worry about all of our little labels. We're going to go to heaven and be like, man, you were saved. Can you believe I'm here? It's shocking. (laughs) right? That's going to be heaven. That's our aim, you guys. The aim shouldn't be the world around us. And church, we are not any better than the world around us in so many ways because we might have cleaned up some of those things. God might have worked some things out of our system. Listen, I've told you guys this before. When I was first saved, I had to have my youth pastor pull me aside and be like, dude, we don't use the F word in church. It's just not good. And I'm like, why? It's just a word. Because I honestly believed it. And I was like, you're not going to tell me not to do something. That's stupid. And it wasn't until he's like, how does that edify to anybody? To tell them that they're effing dumb. <laughs> Is that edifying? Does that build them up? No. And that's how God worked that out of me. And it took a while. I wish I could say that that was one that went away right away. But no. I'm the guy that still went up to pastors like, dude, that was effing, sorry. That was great. That was great. God had to work that out of my system. So yeah, there's some things that you guys don't see in me that if you knew me at 16, 17, even up to 25, (laughs) maybe pushing 30, you'd be like, woo, you were a hot mess that aren't there now. But guess what? There's still pride in my heart that God's working out of me. There's still stuff in my life, you guys, that anybody that knows me at all knows that like, man, he's messed up. God's still working on me. Why would we look at the world around us and say, oh boy, you're a hot mess? Like, so are you. So am I. Can we get to a place, you guys, where we are saying, God, conform, transform my mind. Help me to see people the way you see them, Lord. Not to see what they do, but to see them. And the fact that you love them as much as you love me. Amen. And God, do we actually believe that God is sovereign and that we can trust him with the fact that he does change our lives as we submit them to him? Didn't he do that in your life? Why would we look at someone out in the world and be like, oh, you're, you're too far gone? No, it's just not true. It's a misunderstanding of doctrine to believe that. Do you understand? You don't understand who God is if you actually believe that. You guys, we see transformation in our lives as God renews our mind. We keep diving into what life with Jesus looks like. We dig into his word to mine the depths of what God is showing us. We pray and listen to him. And I need you guys to hear this. Prayer is not just talking. You know that, right? Prayer is listening. We sit and listen to him speak to us. That still small voice that sometimes pops up in your head in the most crazy times. Through his word, so often God speaks to us. Guess what else? Through other believers that we're linking arms with and saying, this is my church body, God uses other believers in your life to speak through them to you as well. So that leads us to the final way that we see God using to conform and transform us. We press into the body of Jesus that God has called us to. Because in a way, you guys, God uses each one of us as we're willing to do that. And I need you to hear this. If you're here today and you're visiting, that's awesome. The thing that we're always telling everybody is, if this is not the church for you, if this is the place that maybe for you, you're like, ah, yeah, I don't know. The worship's just too loud or whatever it is. I'm not dogging that out. What I'm saying is, let us help you get plugged in because the main point is, and the main fear I have for so many people is this, is that they bounce and bounce and bounce and bounce and they never pick a spot and start getting sharpened up and that's, that's scary. A wolf doesn't go after the sheep in the sheepfold. A wolf goes after the sheep that's just out wandering around and being like, I don't really know. That's the one the wolf goes after. That's the one that has the most troubles. And so you guys, God uses each of us to grow us up in him, even though that particular way By God doing it that way, I don't know about you. We are aiming at efficiency, aren't we? We want efficient. We want right. We want it to be good. We want our times on our slides to be lining up with what's on our bulletins. We want everything to be right. But the reality is humanity's involved in the process and God chooses to go that route for some reason. I think it'd be way better if it wasn't Jehovah's Witness, but if an angel, if Gabriel just knocked on everybody's door and was like, yo, here's the deal. Jesus died on the cross. What are you going to do about that? Dude, to me, if I were God, you saying Gabriel to me, i would probably be like, (laughs) okay, I think it's right. But he chose to use us. Flawed humanity. And he chose to use us, you guys, in the process of conforming and transforming our minds towards him. His word and all these things. He uses a messy, mistake-filled people to point out sometimes your mess and your mistakes. (laughs) And if we're truly being a church that's seeking the Lord, we're going to do that if we're the one that God's calling on to go speak to our brother or to our sister about that. We're going to do that with a heart of humility that says, I'm messy and I make mistakes. But dude, I keep seeing you at the bar every Saturday night. Is that wise? Is there value there? I noticed that when you do that, you have a hard time getting up for church in the morning on Sunday. I noticed that you're not coming around as much to these things. And not that it's about coming to church, but if you're not part of the body, then what are you doing? Yeah. It comes from a heart of humility, not from a heart of, like I was talking to my brother and I was like, dude, where's your brother? Where's your son? And dude, where's your wife? And then I, I actually looked at him just today and I was just like, man, it sounds like, I'm got, like I got a spot like, where were you on the night of whatever? <laughs> That's not the heart. The heart is this, man, I love you guys, and I miss you. And when you're not around, I'm bummed. Not just because you're not here, but because you actually, if you're not here, are missing out on an opportunity for God to use you in the life of someone else. It goes both ways. We are not here to consume you guys. We are here to be transformed. We are not just here to consume, even though we have really good coffee that's made by amazing people that I would highly recommend to everybody. The fact is, you guys, is that we're not here to just consume and consume and consume. We're here that God would use our lives and the lives of others. And in the process of that, your life is transformed and you are conformed to the the life that Christ has for you. There is a give and a take that we can only find in a body of believers. So again, this is something that only God does. It's something that we are walking out in the walk of sanctification with him. We are only expected by God to keep learning and to keep submitting. That's what God expects of us and to stop continuing to do it our own way. And we get to learn from God how to do that day by day. And day by day, our lives look more like his and less like us. So I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I can look at scripture and see that we have this amazing, awesome standard. And the standard is this, die to yourself. Lay your life. Be a living sacrifice for God. That's the standard that he has set up for us. I'm glad the standard's that high. Do you understand? I served 15 years in the military. Our standards are outrageously high. Do you know why? Because in the military, they're trying to teach you that you only get anywhere by team. You don't go and flank an enemy by yourself. You do it with a team. Rambo doesn't really exist. Right? Rambo, dude, 600 people firing at him and he's like, one bullet and everyone's like, falls over dead. That's not how it goes, man. (laughs) Right? No, what's real life? You have a fire team and you learn how to flank people and you learn how to, to defeat your enemy in a real way. In the Air Force, to get a plane off the ground requires a whole crew of people to do one thing for that pilot to get off the ground and go put bombs on the target. Do you realize that there are extra people that put the bombs on the plane? Do you realize there are other people that put gas in the plane to get it off the ground? Do you realize there are crew chiefs there that say, hey, you're free to go. There's no other plane leaving. There's people up in the, up in the uh, tower that say, hey, if you take off now, you're not going to slam straight into one of our other planes. There's a lot of people involved in just one thing, getting a bomb put down on a target. Why do I bring all that up? Because I believe that God does much the same thing with us. He wants us as a church body, as a team to go out into this world to live for him and to tell people about him. And guys, guess what? His kingdom is made famous through a life like that and through a church like that. And too often we get so wrapped around the axle and we give up because either we are unwilling to try that or we start believing the lie of the enemy that we're going to do it on our own and we're going to figure it out when you're not. Or lastly, we're so consumer-driven that we don't even want to bother because it might take away a little bit from something else that we enjoy. That's temporal. You guys, last thing I want to say about this verse. That means we've got 15 minutes. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, and this is the point I want to get at, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You guys, here's the deal. So often, we see and hear the question, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? How many of you guys have ever asked, what is God's will for my life? How does all that work out? It's a question I've asked 100,000 times. Do you know what's really cool? God's really shown me do you know what his good and perfect and acceptable will of God is? Not, It's not unknown. What Paul's getting at here when he says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, it's not contextually correct to remove that part of the verse from the rest of what he's already said in verse 1 and verse 2 and say, wow, we don't know, God, tell us. No, what he's saying here when he says that you may prove is this. By living this, this is God's perfect an acceptable will for your life, to lay your life down. That is his will for your life. That's what Paul's getting at. That to the world around you that's living for temporal things like more money or more power or more prestige or a better office or whatever they're living for, or getting their kid into the better college, or to do all the things that so many people are chasing after, that God's saying, you want to live out my will for your life? Die to yourself, lay your life down for me in the power of the Holy Spirit, and be holy, be set apart and different from the world around you so that my kingdom will grow. That is his perfect will for your life. That's what Paul's saying here. You don't have to ask what God's will is. God's will is that you would die to yourself. Now, that's still a good question because people are like, well, what's my will? Do I take this job or that job? Can I just give you a hint, man? If you're in God's word and you know God's word, I'm just being really raw here. If your choices are being a stripper or going and being a HR manager, pick the HR manager. (laughs) Scripturally, the other one doesn't line up. I, I know that's crass, but do you understand what I'm getting at? Let's get, let's get a, a little less ridiculous. What if it's one HR manager or another HR manager? Do you know what I say to that? Pick one. Unless God is writing it on the wall, pick one. Walk it out. What's his will for your life? Jesus made it clear. Go out into the world. Tell people about me and live your life for me that others would see me through your life. Go tell live the mission of our church And this is another clear one, which falls right in line with that. Lay your life down as a living sacrifice for me and let me walk it out through you. Let me walk through whatever job you pick that's biblically sound. And let me impact the people in your life that come in contact with you through that job. Do you understand? God's will is not that complicated. Who do I marry? Are they a Christian? And what I mean by that is not, did they just show up because they're a God? Listen, girls, I'm telling you right now. He goes to church when? Last week with me. <laughs> that's not a Christian, dude. That's a guy that wants to go to church because you're hot. <laughs> just being real. If the person's a believer and you see that in their life, that should be the first thing that attracts you to them. Just being real. If that's in line and you guys aren't like 15 <laughs> where your parents are going to be like, no. If you're in your 20s, if you're whatever and you want to get married, listen, people all the time are like, Pastor, is it okay to, I mean, you know, we really like each other. And I'm like, you're both believers. You're both walking with the Lord. You're growing in these things. You're both at an age where you're grown adults. Figure it out. Because they're like, is it God's will that I marry this person? If you're lined up with what God's word says, and you like them, it's work, dude. Because I don't care how how amazing they are. You're going to wake up next to that guy someday, and he's going to have some stanky breath. And he's going to miss the toilet and pee all over the place. (laughs) And all these things that you're going to be like, oh boy, you better be glad I like you. Am I wrong? You're right. <laughs> Paul's saying, man, lay down your life as a living fac- sacrifice. Be holy, set apart, acceptable to God. That's our logical worship. Because of what Jesus did, we're called to emulate him. And we do that by not conforming to the world around us, which equals not laying down our lives and being living sacrifices, but instead by transforming, by allowing God to transform our lives through the renewing of our mind which can only be done as we continually gray, lay down our lives and grow in what God has for us to do. So Paul's saying you guys that when we do that we're proving that this is the way you should live your life. We're proving that to everyone around us. It matters. Listen, it affects marriages, doesn't it? It does. When one spouse continually shows up to church, even though the other spouses would rather just not, when one spouse is growing in the Lord and saying, man, I actually really wanna live my life for him and that's really what's most important to me, the spouse that isn't down with that, it affects them. And the Bible had to make that clear too, right? Paul said like, just keep loving them well and staying with them and love them well. Don't hound them, don't tattoo Holy Bible on their head because you're hammering them over the head with this every day, love them well and keep pressing into me. It affects our friends, doesn't it? I've lost tons of friends. Lord willing, I'm not going to lose many more. But the reality is, is that, yeah, from high school on, yeah, I've lost a lot of friends. Why? Because I got serious about Jesus. And people that would rather me be drinking and smoking weed and doing everything that they were doing, didn't like that. And they had a choice because my choice was made. John Walvoord says this. as a Christian is transformed in his mind and is made more like Christ, he comes to approve and desire God's will, not his own will, for his life. And then he discovers that God's will is what is good for him and that it pleases God and is complete in every way. It is all he needs. But only by being renewed spiritually can a believer ascertain, do, and enjoy the will of God. You guys, if you are not walking in peace, if you're walking in no joy in your life, can I just throw something out there? What I found in my own life is in those moments when I'm not, it's usually because I'm trying to chase something in this world, and I'm putting that on a pedestal higher than it should be, higher than the Lord. I'm not accusing that of you in your life. What I'm saying is it's a good thing to examine because I've found that to be true in my own life. When I'm chasing after whatever that is, the newest video game. I know that sounds fickle, but yes, there's been times in my life when I've spent the money that was meant for food to go buy a stupid video game and then wondered why it wasn't nearly as fulfilling. What about you guys? So my prayer today, you guys, is that not one of us leaves here thinking we are hopeless. Don't read these verses and be like, man, I'm hopeless. I'll never attain that. You're not hopeless. Our hope is in Jesus. Don't get wrapped up in all of your failures. Jesus, you guys, knew all of you. He knows the you that you don't know yet. He knows the you on your deathbed. When you're sitting there racking your brain and saying, what have I done my life for? What's, what's this about? What's this all been about? He knows that moment too. Guys, he knows it all and he still sent his son to die for you. Jesus knows all your screw-ups, all your struggles, and he chose to die for your sorry butt anyway. And mine too. I also don't want anyone to walk out of here and think, I'm all set. I'm good. I don't really need to do this. I'm okay. I'm going to actually be the first human in history to prove God wrong, that I can conform to this world and still know Jesus. Yeah, welcome to a miserable existence. Have at it, have fun. We'll see you when you're done with that. That's what I mean. I'm being kidding, I'm not kidding. I've said it before you guys, if that's your heart and you're here, keep coming because I love to see you, but I really pray you're super uncomfortable here. But that's not the life that God's called us to, none of us, none of us. The standard is difficult. The standard is impossible without God. But it doesn't make the standard any less true. God desires for each of us, you guys, to submit our lives to him, to live a transformed life by walking with him day by day, growing and being renewed. And we can only do that when we stop focusing and living for the temporal things in this world. Do you guys want to see revival in your life? Stop chasing the garbage that the earth is chasing, and start chasing harder after Jesus, I promise you, you can do nothing but be revived by that. Start taking these two verses seriously. Submit your time, your life, your energy, your words, your thoughts, your family, your money, your stuff. Submit it all to Jesus. Lay it down on the altar. Watch him walk through your messy, difficult world that you live in. <laughs> and know that with all the mess and all the difficulty, it is a very temporary thing. This time here on earth is a vapor, you guys, compared to eternity. Amen. Know that you have each other to do it together. You're not in the mess alone. If you're a believer, you have other believers around you that want to link arms. We are not an island, and you guys too often, here in America especially, we, man, we act just like the world around us. What does the world say, especially here in America? I'm my own man. I pull my own self up by my own bootstraps. Isn't that a very American way of thinking? What about this one? You deserve it. You've earned it. Earned what exactly? I have no idea. Vacation in Maui? Maybe. Maybe. That's the way the world out there thinks, you guys. Church, it should not be the way we think because I don't know about you, but the more I've been transformed by God, do you know what I do know? I am not my own man. I was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. It was an expensive purchase and I don't deserve it. I did not pull myself up, you guys. I need Jesus every day to pull me out of the muck and the mire that this world is either because of the world around me or you guys, to be perfectly honest, because of my own stupid sin that puts me in the muck and the mire. I don't deserve anything. God's grace and mercy was poured out in Jesus and upon his body for me. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve anything. And I definitely didn't earn anything. It's a free gift. Church, if we truly understand what Jesus did for us, we cannot live like the world around us. We can't. The fact is this, God has blessed us but we didn't earn them. And I don't care how hard you work at work, work can go away in two seconds. And all that earning means nothing. It can disappear in a moment. Everything can disappear in a moment. The house that you've earned, the car that you've earned, all these things that you've worked hard to get, do you understand that cars break down constantly? Houses burn down pretty easily. None of these things are going to be in heaven. I promise you, if you want joy and peace and revival in your heart, aim towards those things that are eternal and stop focusing on the things that are temporal. Let's pray. Man, God, I... I'm asking, God, that these two verses would just sink deep into our hearts, Lord, that there would be... Just acknowledge a complete understanding, Father, of the fact that you, Lord, are in charge of everything. Lord, you hold the very breath in our lungs in your hand. God, there is not one thing that we are here uh, earning or or doing on our own. Lord, we're not in control. You are. God, it's a myth. It's, It's arrogance, Lord, to believe that we've got this control that we just don't, God that we do not have. And Father, I'm asking for our church body, Lord, here today. Lord, I know this is a hard word. And God, I know it bumps up against people's lives, Lord. And Lord, your word says clearly, and I I bring this up, Lord, because Americans, Father, have so much wealth beyond most people in the world, Lord. Our bottom people are still in the top 1% of this world, Lord God, financially. And Father, your word says that it is harder for a rich man to make it to heaven. Lord, I think there is something about those things in our lives, Lord, that I'm asking you, Father, break down in us. Help us to see, Lord God, and and thank you for the blessings that you've given us, God, but help us to hold them and keep them where they're supposed to be, God, and that is under you. Help us as a church, Lord, to be a church that it is in our DNA, Lord, that we wake up, Lord, to see that you desire for us, God, to have an impact in the world around us, Lord, Because of you, Lord, that you want us to be a peculiar people, God, to live wholly differently, God, to desire things that the world around us would look and say, that's dumb. Because, God, in those moments when they get to the end of themselves, Lord God, when they realize that their money isn't going to take them past this life, Lord God, those questions begin to come up, Lord, and I'm thankful, God, that you so often use lives of Christians that are walking with you to be the people that those people come to ask those questions of. So God, help us. Help us to be scattering seed now. Help us, God, to be people that are just seeking you, God, and aiming at you, Father. Have your way in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.